welcome to After Hours with your host, Mana Hamilton. After Hours is a platform for conversation with some of Canada's most dynamic creative entrepreneurs. Driven by open, honest conversations, we dig into what makes businesses survive and thrive, giving you tactical insights and takeaways to fuel success, create enduring rituals, and well, crush it in life and business. This specific episode of After Hours is what we like to call a late night version. It was a recorded live event that we felt was worth sharing on the podcast, so it feels a little bit more unplugged. This episode is Powering the People, Human Resources 101 with Michelle Berg. Michelle is a certified professional in human resources and is the CEO at Elevated HR Solutions. A true HR renegade, Michelle advises companies on how to build strong internal cultures and brings a passionate focus to the human aspect of HR for her clients by digging into what their teams are thinking, hearing, feeling, and seeing. The goal is to have the employee experience mirror the customer experience. Michelle was also named Entrepreneur of the Year by Notable Awards and is a recipient of the Business in Calgary Top 20 Top Leader Awards. So I have actually had the uh, joy of knowing, knowing Michelle for, oh my gosh, like 12, 13 years now? Well, I think right when I started, right? So 2000. Yeah. I think we were both just starting our businesses and we met through a... Uh, a mutual friend and uh, Jill- Jillian Jillian Walker, right? Right. Yeah. So that was years ago, back when we were both using Twitter, I think, right? Yeah, babies. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm super excited about this. Um, we've been having some early conversations um, with Michelle where our business has gotten to the point now where we definitely see the value of having internal HR or in this case, you know, having a really great consultant that we can lean on. So um, Michelle is definitely that and has, you know, focused her, you know, entire career pretty much on, on supporting people with HR. So before we even get to the questions, because mm-hmm. I feel like not everybody is always clear on this. What the heck is HR? Like, uh, I think when people talk about it. They think it's the person sitting in the office that they go and like, you know, take their complaints to like, I don't like how the boss talked to me or whatever, but I think it's actually much more complex than that. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think, I, well, you're right. It is more complex than that. But it, I think ultimately what HR is, is indicative of what the CEO of the company wants it to be, too. So in some cases, it is uh, paper pushers. In other cases, it's recruitment um, and benefits and payroll. And where I believe that it is, is, is really the... The, not necessarily the one who's leading culture, but the ones who enables leaders and managers to really build the culture that they want. And so from my perspective, it's all about tools. It's all about supports. It's all about strategies. Um, and, and so that's where I would say even the way that we apply HR. And as you said it in, in my bio, it, it really for us is about if we're going to treat our clients one way, we got to treat our people the same way. And how do we mirror that? And so for us, it's about programs and assets that sure cover recruitment, cover performance management, cover compensation, cover training and development, cover health and safety, and ultimately terminations. That's what we do. But everything that we do mirrors that customer experience. It's complex. And, and I think what's so interesting about what you're saying is, is I think, again, we think of it as this, this solely internal thing, um, which is it, it completely employee based. But ultimately, what you're saying is there's this connection to the external, the external client that the business is servicing and how, how those two can be mirrored. I love I love this um, this photo that and I hope I pronounced your name properly. 
Fabricio. Am I pronouncing that properly? Okay. I was, oh, oh, good. Oh, good. I was like, yeah, everybody thinks that it looks like, it looks like this guy sitting at the desk with his brown tie and his brown shirt and his brown jacket. It's a lot of layers of brown. I mean, I think Toby from the office didn't do our, didn't do our, you know, profession any justice, but I'd argue that the people that usually go into human resources don't do our profession justice. Um, You know, so, so that's a big change that we are, we're fighting every single day is the perception of what we are. So that leads into the next question, which I think is so great. And you've touched on it a little bit. Um, What, what is your approach to HR? Like why is your company different and why should employers take this approach with their staff? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I think we're different because it isn't about paper pushing and it isn't, um, do we know the law? A hundred percent is that 50% of our conversations is around what are our legal obligations? Yeah. That is, you know, we are, we are that intermediary step often, but especially for small businesses, uh, between, you know, a lawyer and Google. Um, cause you can find a lot of this information out. So yeah, so, so we are that, but I think where we're different is we know the foundation, we know all of that, but we also know that life is, is, and people, I guess more so we, we take a design approach to how we build programs. And I think that that's our big differentiator, um, in, in that I think, Ultimately, again, we want to know how people are feeling, thinking, and seeing. So when we implement a program, we are conscious about what we're implementing. It's not just about a template. And we do. We go, hey, do you have a policy on this? And my response back is, I have thousands of policies on that. Mm. What is it that you want? What is it that you want to have for your organization? And what is it that you want them to be feeling when they read it, when they see it? Um, That's a big big difference in our approach is that design thinking. You, you brought up a really good point and I, and I, I'm, it's resonating with me because I just went through it myself just as a process and experience share is, you know, we went through redesigning all of our employee contracts because, you know, we've been, you know, relying on one contract for the last 10 years. It's been modified over the years, which means it's been diluted. And, and in that, we also worked on an employee handbook. And so we worked very closely um, with a lawyer on some of this stuff, but there is this balance of going, you know, what needs to be worked on with a lawyer and how does your HR consultant support you? Because there is stuff that he said, this is sort of our jurisdiction where we have a lot of knowledge, but this is also where you should work with an HR consultant because they have more experience in terms of the variations. And, and we definitely saw that when we were working through the employee handbook, because it is not a one size fits all approach. It's completely dependent on your business, the systems you have in place, um, the structure of your business, you know, how you want to communicate to your employees and ultimately what kind of culture you want to build. So I find it so interesting because there's all these different consultants and people you can lean on. And you kind of have to, to develop a really comprehensive answer to whatever it is your business is looking for from an HR perspective. Right. Like I, I would, I would totally shy away from, there's a whole bunch of things that are out there, but there's something called HR downloads. That's relatively cheap. A lot of small businesses tend to go there and they do, they have thousands and thousands of templates, but a template isn't your business. You didn't create your business from a template. So don't expect that an HR policy is also going to give you the same result. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like can you, can it start as a base? hundred percent, but lawyers love the legalese. And so I hate their handbooks when they write them. I know exactly when they've written one. And the truth is a handbook does not manage a person. Yeah. 
So what you're saying is I probably should give you my handbook and you'll rip it apart and I'll be totally fine with that. At least I got it done, right? I shipped yeah. it. I was like, for the first time in 14 years, our yeah. studio actually has a handbook, which I'm sure people read once and forgot about entirely, but you know, it's, it's there. It's floated out there, but we've created handbooks as, um, well, one of my favorite ones is actually for a construction company local here in Calgary, and it's a blueprint. And their whole handbook is one of the buildings that they did. It's the Devonshire building on 17th. And every kind of, so the foundation is the values. And we, and we really put the rules around the whole blueprint and because it's the heart and soul of the company and it sits on their wall. I love that. And you're tying it back to sort of their core values and their vision and ultimately their industry, which probably makes it a lot more memorable as an employee versus, like you said, the sort of legal, legal lingo that people don't really understand. Right. And in fact, if your lawyer is ever telling you the truth, the, the harder it is for an employee to understand uh, means that it actually falls then on the employer. It's the employer's fault if the, if the understanding isn't there. But why lawyers like that is because then you have to call the lawyer and ask for help through it all. It's all just a big game on the lawyer's side. Yeah, actually- but I, I can't think what else I'd want to do with my $700 an hour. Right. 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 right? Yeah. I mean, so- so speaking of that, we're talking about, you know, not not leaning on the templates. So what are some of the unique strategies that you've created for companies to help create a great company culture, work environments? You talked, you know, you talked about the blueprint, which I think is a really great example. Can you share any other ones that you think are like really creative solutions that really helped with the company culture? So it wasn't just this like cloud in the sky of HR. It was actually a like real tangible, useful thing that the company could could use. Yeah. So um my favorite actually has has been we we work with a local marketing agency. They were growing across Canada, <clears throat> and just before COVID hit, and it actually ended up being even better through COVID. Is their onboarding program? We created these little podcasts uh, front with each person, so we would actually have we would have meeting. Basically, it was me, but it could have been anyone. But me interviewing all of the employees and getting them to tell you about them. So now, when a new employee starts rather than just go to their picture, you actually get to find out about who these employees are, what oh, makes them. I love that. Yeah. That's and, good. Yeah. And, it, and, and during COVID, it's created so many more conversations because now people can listen to it and they go, oh, hey, uh, I remember when you said this. And at first, the idea was really about the commute, right? Because people, everybody listens to podcasts during their commute. So we were like, what can we give people during their commute to learn? And the cool thing is we actually send it out just before they start. So if they're keeners, they can actually learn about every single employee in the organization before they even before they even step foot. So they feel again. So, so there, what it is, it's a, it was pretty cliquey. Like, so the problem that we were trying to solve was that it's hard to get into this group. They've worked, a lot of them have worked together for a long time. Uh, a lot of them kind of, you know, if they didn't start it with the person, they joined three months later and it was, you know, so it was 15 to 20 people for a long time. And then they went through a boom and they're now 50. So how do we help people break into that each time? That was the problem we want to solve. And we wanted the experience of them not being scared to go up to that lunch table in the cafeteria to sit down with the cool kids. We wanted them to know the cool kids before they even got there. They can be like, hey, are you Rochelle? I saw your video. I heard you love cocktails. I also really love cocktails. Can we be friends? Yeah. Can we be friends? <laughs> That's super interesting because it's funny. We just filmed videos in our office yesterday multi-purpose and I hadn't even thought about that as sort of um, an engagement with new employees and we did it so that 
when a designer gets assigned to a, to a client that we can send this video and the client can get to understand that designer a little bit more. We also thought it'd be great to throw it on social so that people can get to know, you know, the people behind the brand. But I, I love this as even just an onboarding tool, right? Of being like, meet the team, right? Here's the people you're going to be working with. I think that's such a fantastic idea. And like the commuting idea, so fun. Yeah. And so you just nailed it though. Exactly. So that's the experience you want for your clients. Well, the question is, how do we mirror that with the team members? And that's, that's the exact correlation exactly there. That transparency, that level of comfortability as well um, is so important on that onboarding side. You just schooled me. I'm going to have to implement this now. I love it. Cool. So, okay. So talk, let's talk a little bit about the, the job description. Mm-hmm. Any of us who have, uh, who have ever worked in our lives have either agreed to a job description, written a job description, applied to a job posting with a job description. Um, I think that there's probably a lot of really bad job descriptions that you can probably speak to. Um, but I also think that there's probably some really powerful job descriptions. So I'd love to hear from, from your perspective, how do companies get the right people in the right seats and doing so with just a job description that is very accurate and telling in terms of what their role in that company is going to be? Well, yeah. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, I actually am a massive fan of the job description. For me, the, a really well-written job description, exactly as you said, helps us hire, but it helps us to compensate correctly as well. Mm-hmm. It helps to do performance management because then it's black and white. Are, are you doing the job or not? It helps you there. And it helps you to determine whether or not it's time to go as well. So I just think we don't give the job description enough credit because in the past, and I've, I've heard it too, well, that's not on my job description. I'm not going to do that. And so then I think a lot of employers go, oh, oh can we swear? I don't, I didn't ask. Yes, you can, you can, you can absolutely swear. It's you. So I thought so, but I've also, you know, I'm 41 now, Amanda. So it's like, I'm, I'm supposed to be mature. And- well, I'm, I'm 39, but thank God for filters. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I got the vaccine. I'm so old. <laughs> oh my gosh. All of you, you can always tell who's over 40 because everybody's rubbing it in our faces on Instagram right now. Like, here, I got my vaccine. I'm like, Meh. the one time in your life where you wish you were just a little bit older. Right? I was like, I feel good. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the job description is definitely, is, is certainly the thing that and I get it too, because it's, it does change and you want it to be flexible enough to be able to adapt, especially when you're a smaller organization as well. But it's the number one reason why people are leaving. Deloitte just did a study and um, the number one reason why people are leaving right now is because of lack of career growth. So job descriptions also allow you to go, have I achieved everything that I need to do? And now how can I evolve this? Like it's a, it's a conversation starter. Um, I also just want to make a quick distinction. Two, what I will say is a job ad is very different than a job description as well. Mm-hmm. And I think when you just throw a job description up and post, you know, you got, you got to have more than that. Nobody was going to come to your company if you wrote a shitty ad. Why would they come to your company if you write a shitty yeah. job ad? So <clears throat> the best ones, though, really are to, for me. I think the job description needs to have here are the tasks. Not, I'm sorry, not tasks. Here are the buckets of things that you're responsible mm-hmm. for. Yeah. And then the 
biggest piece that I recommend on job descriptions is actually also understanding the percentage of time you want people to be spending on each of those. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. When you recognize that there are different and, and, and the way that I do job descriptions often with a company like yours is I get the employee to write their own job description and then they identify where they're spending their time. And it's a great conversation starter again with you to be able to say, should I be spending my time here? Yeah. And I like what you said too, about how you can tie that back to performance metrics, because if people are not clear about what their job is, and you're right, I love the idea of adding time into it because a a small part of the job might be to do this super creative, amazing task, but it's actually only 5% of the time. And then maybe there's 50% of the time where it's like, that person is, it's not the thing that they really want to be doing. So getting really clear in terms of, yeah, what are the priorities or the, or the majority of your time going to be spent versus some of the other sort of secondary roles that might be part of your job, job description. Right. And then last but not least, what needs to be added is what does success look like? I think that's what so many job descriptions are missing. And yet that's really from a performance perspective, I can be spending all my time in the right areas, but do I know if I'm successful or not? And so helping people to understand what it is that you're looking for, transparency in your communication back to them, no one can read your mind. And so if they don't know what you think success is, or if you're misaligned on what that success is, no wonder you, you, you can kind of fall off course. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important what you said, too, is having, we've done this before, too, where you have your employees assist with the job description. Because I think what happens as businesses grow, for many of us, um, if we are business owners or we're in executive positions, we get further and further away from the front line, right? So, you know, things change, technology changes, you know, client needs change. And it's that person who's actually doing that ta- that that task directly with that client or that customer that ultimately sees where the bottlenecks are, where the issues are. And so when you're not engaging them in that process, it can be very much like, oh, here's the information I found out. Like, this is what a controller does. And I know in our office, a lot of people wear a lot of different hats. And so sometimes that means like you have three different job descriptions or there's things that slice under your job description that wouldn't be found online. Right. right. You wouldn't find that online because it's specific to your company. It's specific to how many employees you have or maybe even where that employee is going in the future in your company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then we also always make sure what success looks like, too, is we bring it to values and making sure that it's very descriptive of what if you're actually living the value or each of the values, what does that look like and how does that show up as well? Um, and to get very concrete in terms of expressing exactly how you're feeling and thinking and how you want them to be feeling and thinking as well. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but we're in a pandemic. You what? might have been in your basement for the last year and joined the fireplace, but we, but we are, we're, we're almost out of it though. Um, so this has obviously really shifted the workplace. So for, for those companies that have employees working from home, you know, what tips do you have in terms of keeping company culture going? Cause I know it's been a real struggle. Like our, our office, we're all in the studio right now. Um, we decided as a team that it was going to, um, increase our efficiency and agreed that it was just a better solution for us. But for a lot of organizations, especially large organizations, it's not even an option. They're not even allowed to come in. And so a lot of people are starting new jobs, working with people that they've never actually met, and they've been working with them for months and months. So first, I'd love to know, you know, obviously your um, reflection on what has sort of happened in the workplace with respects to COVID, but then also what can companies do to sort of make sure that both 
its employees and its customers are sort of aligned from an HR standpoint? Yeah, I mean, to say that it's been easy is is would be a total lie because it's not. You know, organizations that used to have amazing cultures were doing we're doing employee effectiveness or employee engagement surveys, and we are seeing drops of engagement more than 25% from where they were pre-COVID, which is not a shock because, again, the connection is not there. The truth is, though, it is about, it, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think, you know, in your organization, it works for your team. Um, for us, we've got a mix of people who, who don't want to be in the office for fears or whatever it is. And then there's those that do want to be in the office. So we've created a, a flexible, a, a flexible opportunity as, as much as that goes. But what, what some of the bigger organizations are, are doing is <clears throat> we've just started a study, which I'm really excited about, where we're actually going to be creating personas. Mm-hmm. And based on the persona, we're going to create equitable rules based on like the choices that they have for those, you know, cause again, you've got George who's 40 with two kids. And a 45 minute commute versus Jane, who is basically 28 and single and still is really early on in her career and needs that mentorship and connection piece. You've got to, the key that we've learned, and this is what organizations are going to have to get good at is flexibility because flexibility is going to be your competitive differentiator. Um, burnout, I believe happens only because there's a lack of control. But as soon as you give people control back to their life, they can handle more work. It's not the work or it's not the amount of work that's causing the burnout. It's the feeling of being on the hamster wheel and not being able to get off. Give that hamster some control over their life to go run around in other places. They're not going to feel those same effects. So how creative are you going to get within that flexibility? And the problem that we're seeing, though, is people who are choosing, so in an organization like yours, you probably still give someone flexibility from working from home occasionally. Yeah. But there's a fear, and specifically, I find this more so for women than for men. But if women choose to stay home because of family obligations that they have, my fear is that they're also going to be forgotten. And which means politically, they're not going to be chosen for for promotions, which means it's just going to extend the wage gap even more. So we're not, still, it's like you're not top of mind, basically. You're not. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so then do you feel psychologically safe coming into work because you have to, not mm-hmm. because you want to? So there's all these other factors that are in there as well. So what we're doing is a lot of work on encouraging leaders to remember that connection is really an individual process and different people like to connect in different ways. And if we want to be there for our people as bright leaders and to, again, stay competitive, we're going to have to learn what that connection means for that person. So we're seeing even in large organizations, leadership becoming more not about one size fits all. But that white glove service of how do I connect with that individual, that seems to be the most engaged organizations that we're working with is when leaders get that. And so example would be, um, you know, still going for for walks with people, but you're on the phone. So you're both outside, you're both going for a walk, but you're just on the phone. So it's like you're together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so so there's that connection piece. Or, you know, last night, one of our clients had, um, Five Vines actually did a, a beer tasting for them. So they got everyone, they sent out the beer to each of their houses in the city. And then they were at home at Zoom having a beer tasting together. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing that's come out of this is that we've, we've started to be much more creative in terms of what the workplace looks like. And, and, I, and I guess I lean more towards the side of being like, 
you know, people need human connection. I think there's a lot of people thinking like people are never going to return to the office. I don't think that's true because I think people ultimately want that connection. They want the collaboration. But what we're talking about is a hybrid model, right? Where it's like, maybe we're more flexible than we've ever been. And 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 owners of company and founders and, and those types of people understand like, oh, you don't necessarily have to be coming in from nine to five to be productive, or we don't have to have these standard you know, rules of engagement. But what I, what I loved about what you talked about is, you know, creating these opportunities depending on di- how different people connect. So I've spoken with a lot of, you know, different entrepreneurs and going like, what are you doing to have your team connect right now? And some of them, it's a daily check-in. Um, some of them, it's forcing the, everybody to put their cameras on, you know, during a meeting. Cause it's like, doesn't matter what you look like. If you're in your pajamas, it's just like, we need to see each other's faces. Like you said, it's, it's doing these like virtual events. I know that when I celebrated my birthday like a year ago, it was when Zoom had like people had never been on Zoom before and it was super awkward. Whereas now we're all so used to being on Zoom. Like I've had dance parties on Zoom and like it was like a great night. And I was just like, we all, it was a friend's birthday and we all started our playlist at the same time. And we just had a dance party on Zoom. Like nobody was doing that a year ago. So now it's like we have an opportunity as, as leaders to go, we have all of these different ways to connect. Like you said, it could be, you know, going for a walk and having your AirPods. Are they called AirPods? I always screw this up. These these things, these things in, um, you know, it can be doing these virtual tastings. It can be, you know, everybody joining in on like an online online Zoom event. Um, we were doing um, just called our big three. So it's like on Slack, we'd be like, what's our big three today? Just so that we kind of like knew what everybody else in the office was doing that day. It was just like a little way to connect during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer. Actually, I think you're going to be crazy busy and not that you aren't already, but even more so in the sense that, because I, I believe that the workplace is now going to be a culture space. So it's a place of school. It's a place of collaboration and innovation and it's a place for connection, but that deep asynchronous work that you do need to be away from distractions. I think work or at home for me anyways it's still I can hammer out way more when I need to deeply think about something than I ever could at work and Mm -hmm. and and I do still look for different places now I'm looking for different places to get that creative because I'm stuck in this basement and and yeah but I I think like that's the the coolest offices are going to be those that people want to flock to but not necessarily to do the deep work there, the individual work there. It's where we're collaborating. It's where we're engaging in conversation, but then maybe we're working a little bit at home when we're trying to like get into flow or whatever. You want. And I have to be fair, obviously that, you know, I do tend to seem to go to the professional setting. There's still retail. There's still, you know, where they don't have choice. Yeah. Um, and, and so again, even there, it's like the psychological support that we have to give to our frontline workers that make our world still go around. Um, I think, you know, even from the hospitality sector, obviously they've been hit so horrendously. And so hybrid doesn't work for them, clearly. No, um, and, and I think we have a few hospitality people on the line too. So I would love if you guys threw um, some questions into the chat box because yeah, it's been an industry, you know, it's like if you, you know, if you're in the health and wellness industry and your gym's been shut down, it's like, okay, you can go virtual, but let's say you're a spin studio, you know, YYC Cycle is an exact, you know, perfect example. Not everybody has a spin bike at home, right? And so, you know, being able to support, you know, YYC and their business is really tough for them. They've been totally shut down. Hospitality is another example. Um, one of our clients is... Um, 
a CRMR and, you know, when, when none of your amenities are open in your hotel and people can't cross borders, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. How do you, how do you make that a possibility to kind of um, keep your business going in those circumstances and then create a sense of culture? And there where we see then, you know, that job security, safety, like people like the scarcity of jobs. I mean, people act different when they're worried that they're going to lose their job or could lose their job at any given moment, too. And so what that's doing psychologically to people right now has been it's been horrendous. We did 5000 layoffs at the beginning of COVID that we supported our our hospitality and clients with. And like it's it, it it hasn't gotten better necessarily. There's hope now that's different. But again, when you think about their workplace, I, I have been have to remind myself that not all workplaces are like our workplaces. But again, recognizing that it is still an opportunity for this great innovation and culture space and connection. Um, I think, you know, so so at places like hospitality or, or that you have to be talking about mental health, that's the way to get through COVID right now. I just it's been, yeah, it's been a challenge to say the least. I, I feel like you're, you're before I, I do want to get into some really tactical tips because I think whenever we do these Zoom meetings, I want to make sure that everybody is leaving with, you know, tips and tricks to bring back to their own, own organizations. But um, you bring up a really interesting conversation. I don't know if a lot of people have been following and I always forget his name. Uh, Michelle, remember his name? Ke- oh, Callum? Caleb? Oh, I can't remember him. We keep forgetting. We'll 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 look it up afterwards. But there, um, he's he's out of Vancouver, and he's a, he has a, a podcast called the Mental Wealth Podcast, and he put out a fairly controversial, what was considered a very controversial video. I think it was early uh, last week. But what I think he was touching on is is you know, and again, mental health um, has been has been something that we've needed to um, address for a really long time. But now we've got a lot of people um, that are that are in the situation that maybe have never dealt with mental health issues, but that are feeling like um, so isolated, right? And so it's become even more of an issue during COVID of going, how do we manage some of these conversations within an organization? How do we support our team who might possibly be, um, you know, dealing with these mental health issues. And I'm just curious what your thought process is around that in terms of, you know, an employer being able to support employees that way. In the majority of our clients, we've, we've encouraged them all to um, even, and we do it as well, but we do mental health check-ins weekly. And we just ask on a scale of one to 10, where are you at? Um, and, uh, you know, for the most part, what it's done is it's helped move the mental health conversation be um, it's helped move the mental health conversation to go further than performative, which I think for a long time, that's really what it's been. You know, Bell Let's Talk comes out. That's the one time companies talk about, you know, mental health. And then, and that was it kind of thing. And now, now we're recognizing that you can, and you should, Um, you know, I've had a lot of really difficult conversations this year with people and even talking to my own therapist, you know, so, so, so being able to say that, Hey, look, I go to a therapist. I see a therapist. Like who's stepping up and actually saying that they're doing these things, saying these things. That's super important as well. Um, but, but what she said to me was, you know, it's the people that stop talking. It's the people that aren't talking about it. It's the people that don't acknowledge that they're going through the things that they're going through. Those are the quiet people that you need to talk to. You need to start, start, you know, 
listening even more, reading their emails more, and really making sure that you're going to have a connection there. Because it's when they stop talking, that's when, and when they pull away, um, that's when you notice or, or know, and we've watched, that's what's happened in the past. Um, a lot of employers have hired us to do wellness checks this year, where we'll phone people that they've temporarily laid off just to check in. And and it's been good and it's been sad because I had a mother answer the phone one day and she said, actually, he's in the hospital last night. He tried to take his life. So you're hearing this and then you're going through it. And um, it's not easy. But again, having the conversations, encouraging people to talk about it. I think when you're in an environment where like yours, where that you all genuinely care for each other and are, you would be able to tell if someone was starting to pull away. Not all organizations have that kind of a culture. So it's important to create some more standardization around the conversation and just simply asking one to 10, how are you feeling? You don't have to explain it, but one to 10, where are you at? There is this labeling it seems to help at times. I think that's a really good, um, that's really good advice. We do a bit of a pulse check in our studio. We use 15.5. If anybody's familiar with that, it's a really great resource. A little bit on the pricey side, but it definitely is really good from managing from a pulse check standpoint. But even sometimes what we say in a staff meeting is just like, where's everybody at from one to 10, right? With respect to workload, how you're feeling. And it gives the team an opportunity to say like, how can I support somebody else on the team? Um, so transitioning into some tips and tricks. And I'm just warning you, I'm dealing with a, a geriatric dog that I need to get off the sofa. He's uh, 15. So I'm going to turn my camera off just for one second while you go through this next question. So I can get him off the sofa. Here, you guys, you guys can all, you can, you guys can see him. Oh, there he is. And he, he wants off the sofa, but he needs a little bit of support. Um, so first, first question is tips for onboarding a new employee. We just went through this. We now have an onboarding checklist mm-hmm. and it is a, it's a beast, but you know, understanding how to make an, an employee feel like really welcome on the first day. I'd love to hear some of your tips and tricks for, and for anybody else in terms of like, those onboarding best practices? Yeah. So for me, I look at onboarding as more than just the day that they start. I kind of put it into three phases. So the first phase is pre-boarding. And so it's it's getting all the, the BS kind of stuff out of the way from paperwork to reading policies and procedures to you know, sending those podcasts, for example, there is, there is that, that's when people are most excited. That's when they have time to read through it all. That's when they have time to, to get uh, everything on board. And then there's the day of. And so again, it's asking yourself consciously, what do we want them to experience on that day? So creating a checklist is an, is an awesome thing to do, but helping them to connect to people, setting up those meetings with people that they need to meet right out of the gate, rather than kind of because let's face it, you get busy when they start onboarding. Now they're supposed to be kind of like trying to figure things out on the first day. If you get totally schedule out their first couple of days, first three days, um, that is incredibly important that you've got, they, they know that they are meant to be some, somewhere, that they're not an afterthought. And that's what we typically see in onboarding is like, oh shit, I know it's your first day, but um, go read this or go figure this. So that really shouldn't be how they're like, you wouldn't do that to a client. So don't do that to your employees. You got to set the time aside to really explain and go through things. And also remember that people do not retain things in the first three days. So what, what onboarding is continues on a week to two weeks to three weeks to a month to three months. 
And at every phase, it's important to have milestones of what should they know, what should they have learned by now, and keeping to that schedule. The other thing, of course, I think you know the story. I think I told you the story. We buy everyone who starts at Elevated Tiffany's bracelets for their first day. Mm. And we've done that because when I had my daughter, um, it was kind of like, welcome to the club. I gave everyone, (laughs) it was my baby shower, but I gave everyone that day these Tiffany's bracelets because they had meant so much to me when I was... Um, because they were going to help me now as to have my, my, my six, she's now six. But since then, every time a new employee has joined and we've had males join too. So we give them money clips, but there's something iconic around the blue. We've always kind of had that color within our brand as well. So it's something like that. People always push back. They say, why are you spending that kind of money on the first day? And I always say, it's a good gut check for me. If I don't want to buy this bracelet, chances are I probably shouldn't hire this person either. Um, and so it's like my own checklist for me, but I want me, one of our values is mediocrity doesn't live here. So I want that feeling of wow, like a going above and beyond to be felt the first day that they join. So thinking about that first day, knowing it's scary, eliminate any of the things that could get in the way of total, total connection and success. I love the fact that you said you wouldn't treat a client like that. So why would you treat an employee like that? Right? Like that's such a valuable thing. I know it's something we've struggled with as a company is like, yeah, that first day always felt like, Oh, your email's not set up or your computer is not quite ready. Or there's all these other things. And for one of the first times ever we had an employee start and it's like, Every single of the like, there's about, there was about 25 boxes to check was taken care of. So if you don't have that checklist, it's really hard to go, oh yeah, shoot, I forgot I needed to get you your fob for your parking stall, or I needed to get your social insurance number or whatever it actually is. That's actually really great to have something like that. And yeah, and and to really think about it in terms of like, how would you... How would you do this with your clients? What would that first onboarding meeting look like with your clients? So we talked about onboarding. I like to call it offboarding, aka firing. How does what does that look like on the back end? So let's say somebody doesn't work out. Um, what are some tips and tricks? How does that look like when it's like, "Hey, employee, it's uh, this is the end of the road for us." Sayonara, sayonara. Oh gosh, I can't. I can't. I've had too many cocktails. I've only had. <laughs> A sayonara. Um, and, and sort of, you know, is there exit interviews? Like, what would you say would be on that sort of uh, checklist when a client is leaving or a customer uh, employee is leaving a business? So here's the first piece of advice. If you're letting them go, don't do an exit interview. It's kind of like pouring salt on the wound. You make the decision to leave, not them. So yeah. if they're choosing to leave, do the exit interview. And that's a really big thing. If they're choosing to leave, make sure how they leave is exceptional. And I have not been good at this always in my life. I I, I will admit that I'm a beautiful bridge burner sometimes. And um, when people choose to leave me, I, you know, can get used to get again of aged, but used to get upset. And I recognize how much that hurts my brand. On the flip side, I just had someone who left me after eight years. I'm super happy for her. And, you know, I wrote a beautiful tribute to her on LinkedIn and not, not meaning for it to turn into anything from a brand perspective, but it actually landed as clients. So like, and again, it wasn't intentional. There was no consciousness around, oh, I'm going to do this. But how she left, we did an entire celebration of her. And I'm excited for her. She's going on to create a great career for herself. And she, she was with me for the hardest part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, and she might come back or she might not. But that's the key thing is remembering that people often can go and the grass might not be greener on the other side. 
Um, and, and so it, if you cut off those people and you burn those bridges or you treat them like they're traitors, chances are they're going to go up onto the old glass door and write their experience about you too. So you got to be mindful of that. Well, and ultimately, I mean, if somebody wants to leave, they've either outgrown or they haven't been provided the opportunity or they're looking for a change, right? So that's also not the best thing for your own organization to have somebody that's not entirely committed to your business, right? And then sometimes it's just about having a different experience, being able to see how things work in different offices or different environments. Yeah. 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 So on the flip side, I will say that one of my catchphrases is actually recruitment should be the hardest thing you do and termination should be the easiest. So when you're making the decision and the reason is you want to do everything possible to protect your culture on the recruitment side. So you need to be as like you process, process, process on the recruitment side. Like don't get off that. What works, keep that going. Um, and I, again, do not always practice what I preach and I've screwed up multiple times, even though I'm an HR company, but if there's anything I've learned, stick to that process. On the flip side, um, I, the reason why terminations really are the easiest is because as a leader, the, when I make that decision to let them go, I have also been transparent with them on all the things that need to change. And so I give them the tools and I do everything possible to make them successful and if they still choose not to take those tools, then the, the only choice is, you know, to to tell them that your time is no longer needed. And I'll be honest, I've, I've done it quite a few times at Elevated as well. And I've had several times where people had their bags packed because they knew. And, you know, and it's like, you know, and, and, and I've had lots of thank yous afterwards. Mm. I hated you in that moment, but I'm here now. And, and that's, you know, what my ultimate aim is to do. But I can say, if you have given them all the tools and you have given them all the feedback, letting them go is not that difficult at that time. It's the right decision because it's hurting your business. I do, I do agree. I, I have found myself that you, you generally, the person who is being let go is being let go. It, it sort of knows. Right. And, and I think one of the questions I've always asked is like, you know, are you happy? Are you enjoying your position? And you can usually tell when people aren't because they stop showing up the way that they used to show up. Right. So either something's going on in their life that maybe they haven't felt comfortable sharing with you or they need a little bit of grace. But but often it's because they're just ultimately not enjoying the position. It was a not a, not really the right fit. And sometimes it's about taking the accountability ourselves as business owners about being like, I pushed you into this position. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we were both wrong. Like you were not the right fit and you thought that this might be something that you'd enjoy, but it ultimately isn't. Um, you, you touched on something to recruitment, which is, you know, I'm going a little bit off script, but, um, you know, I, I feel like based on some of the people that are, are on the call today, um, what are some of your tips with respects to recruitment? Because I know that this comes up a lot. Like when people are are hiring, it's like, where do I post? What's the best platform? Um, you know, how long do I put the post up for? Do I hire, you know, a headhunter for this? What What do you find are some of the best tools that you have found or best resources or best practices with respects to recruiting? So a couple of things is, first of all, you need to understand that recruiting as it relates to job postings is all about SEO. So it's got to have proper keywords, if you're going to get, you know, if you're going to get um, the attention of others, if you are indeed going to be using job postings, and sometimes you have to. What I will say is um, the same thing that as a small business owner, you're always selling, you should always be recruiting. So you are always thinking about who else can I be talking to? It's networking consistently. You might not have a job today, but you're keeping 
you're, you're keeping the communication open and, and to having those conversations. And I think so many people say, well, I just post that ad. Sure. I'll just get it. I call that posting and praying. It rarely, rarely works. If you haven't worked on your employment brand, nobody wants to go work for an unknown. So you, you kind of recognize that, that who you are matters and how you're putting yourself out there matters far more than that once or twice a year job posting that you've got. And again, shorter is better than longer, but using a tone in the job posting process that is reflective of your company and then reflective of the type of people you want to attract is super important. Again, having it feel very corporate, there aren't very many people who are going to want to go apply for those jobs either. Yeah. And you, you bring up a good point right now too. We were having this conversation with a girlfriend yesterday is it's like, you know, she's got an incredible business. She would be amazing to work for, but she just recently went through a bit of a rebrand. And so the challenge is, is in an economy like this, people are not feeling like it's okay to jump ship, right? Like it's a little bit more scary to jump ship. So it's like, what are you doing to provide, I think, some security with people to go, yeah, if I come work for you, I have job security and I know what your business is all about. And I know the types of people I'm going to be working with and types of projects I'm going to be working on. And so that becomes even more of an issue right now when, you know, a lot of people are out of jobs or at least they're worried about the security of their job. Yeah. Yeah. We built long-term employment branding strategies and then there's the short term for the posting and, and, and the immediate needs as well. I will say, honestly, right now, we have never had as much recruiting activity as we do right now. Uh, and that's in 11 years. We have never had this many. And I will say it is a hot market right now uh, uh, in a large majority of industries right now. People are getting LinkedIn um, opportunities and offers and, you know, to come have conversations more than I've ever seen. And in fact, I just invested in a software. It's called Seek. And what I can do is if I really like somebody, so Amanda, if I really like you and I want to hire another you, I put your name in and it will go find you. And within a hundred kilometer radius, it'll find others that are similar so that I can start conversations with people. So I can finally find my doppelganger slash clone. Yeah. yeah actually, the, the, the button you press is called clone. <laughs> I, Lana, are you, Lana, are you writing this down right now? Please. This is amazing. Find me my clone. What I'll do, what I'll do tonight is I'll show you what it does. I'll show you all the profiles that come up. Oh my gosh, that's that is incredible. That's that's super interesting. Yeah, and this is the AI that's happening. The AI and the technology and recruitment right now is off the charts. It's it's fabulous. So, um, but you got to keep up. Like people are saying, don't post on job boards anymore. When you're posting just like a Google ad that you would do for your business, do job postings like that. Use programmatic ads the same way that you would to go find people because people aren't really searching right now. You're right. People like civility. So you got to get in front of them. They're not going to the job boards. Yeah. Like we, we always just use Instagram because we just sort of assume the people that want to work for us are already following us on there. They're already familiar. And, and it's actually been super successful just, just doing it that way. Yeah. But you bring up, you bring up a good point because I, I work with a, a, a number of mentees and, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, lack of security coming out of school. But what I have said is that during times like this, during a recession or when, when businesses change like this, um, people ultimately end up letting go of the fluff, 
or people that weren't right for the organization, right? So um, what that means is that they're also looking for new talent. And there's also a lot of industries that are growing right now. Um, You know, our industry is one of them. It sounds like your industry is one of them. Um, And so there are a lot of people looking for for new talent to join their teams. And so I'm not surprised to hear that you're saying that there's a ton of recruiting happening right now because um, people are now in an opportunity to rebuild teams because they've had to either let people go or downsize. And as we sort of hopefully return to normal, um, we have the ability to sort of rebuild our teams from scratch if we need if we need to do so. Right. Or rehire those people that we loved, but we just didn't have the uh, capacity for them during COVID. Yeah. 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 I think Q's has helped a lot of businesses, you know, who have and. And so there is a little bit more disposable income. And then on the flip side, I think we're all being set up for a bit of a stimulus. We all have extra cash in our bank account. Well, many of us, I shouldn't say all, but we haven't done the things that we normally have done, like travel, like even for a business, I haven't taken the same risks that I used to take during this time. And we're ready now to go do something more, do something different. We just got our, uh, for um, students, we just got, uh, we have a marketing student and an HR student we just got approved for today. So those announcements just came out when you when you went to go apply and they're still paying almost up to minimum wage for these students. So you can get a really great. So those jobs are coming out for students as well. I I need that information because we're about to hire some interns. So I need that information. We missed the date. It was in February. that. Okay. well, I'm going to hire them anyways. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like it's and, and Q's is going until September. Yeah. So, you know, like it's, it's, it's allowing us to take a few more risks than we used to take. So there's a lot of good things that are happening. We're just all scared, I think, to talk about some of them because of how shitty some others are feeling too. But I think there has been a lot of great success stories. Yeah. Well, I, I want to make sure I leave time um, for some questions. I have one last uh, question for you before I turn it over. I'd, I'd love if, if, if you guys, if you guys have any questions, please, th- please throw it in the chat box. But um you know, this is always a bit of a pain. Anyone who is, um, again, working or running a business deals with this. But do you have any tips in terms of like dealing with workplace drama? I, I think as a business owner, there's definitely a few occasions where I've had to deal with this. And, and my my strategy generally, and it's worked in the past, but I'm a smaller organization, is for the employees to work it out on their own, right? So if it's, it's not something that... Um, is a human rights issue where somebody needs to step in, but it's more of a, you know, somebody rubbed me the wrong way or I didn't like how they talked to me. I've always sort of encouraged people to um, deal with the confrontation because I think long-term there's so much value in being able to say, Hey, you hurt my feeling or, Hey, I'm not okay with that. Let's have a conversation. And it's resulted in, in um, success that way. But how do you deal with like really big workplace dramas? What are some tips and tricks there? Well, first is recognizing that not everyone is prepared or has the tools to deal with conflict in the same way. So stepping in as a leader is different based on their communication preference. Um, you know, how they've grown up and how, how they've approached conflict their whole lives is really going to be indicative of how they're doing it in the workplace. And again, it's, you know, I sound like a broken record, but it's not one size fits all. And so it's recognizing the differences. So some people actually do need you to step in. Um, because they don't have the tools. They don't know how to do it, but it's, it's collaborative and it's done from a place of respect. I think the other thing too is <clears throat> conflict has such a bad rap 
I personally, because it's my preference, I like to have conflict because I see it as almost like brainstorming. We can agree to disagree. And in conflict, you don't have to have a winner or a loser. But as soon as you think that there is one, that there is a winner, well, then, yeah, you're going to be, you know, it's not going to be as good. So um, I think I think it's an individual process on how. So I couldn't necessarily give you tips or tricks because it's it's that person's style. So if they tend to shy away, it's, it's, you know, stepping up to them and say, Hey, I noticed this, but I also noticed I don't think it's getting better. How can I help you? What can, what can we do in order to have that conversation and, and to get you to a place? Um, Adam Grant just had a great, <laughs> uh, great podcast that came out on Monday, I think about conflict and, you know, it's everybody has a story. And so helping people to figure out where they're at, at their origin story and, and, and figure out what that conflict is. But the key is letting two people who have two different conflict, like two different preferences for dealing with conflict, handle it on their own is probably not ever going to work. Stepping in and supporting them and letting them know transparently how you're supporting them. And, and also what's the consequence if they don't fix it? Like holding them accountable to that as well. And then for them and giving them tools based on who they are really makes a difference when it comes to conflict. Yeah. And then coming out of that stronger, right? Because I I think, you know, a lot of us struggle with conflict. And like you said, there's an origin story there. But the more you combat that, the more you you actually deal with conflict, the easier it gets to just be like, hey, what's going on? Like, I notice like some you're you're not yourself today or you said something in a certain tone to me and I'm sort of getting the sense that, you know, something's something's boiling, something's festering. Um, so I love that. I mean, again, I think ultimately what you're saying is that through all of this is that businesses, all businesses are incredibly unique. And then further, every employee is incredibly unique. So it's not something we can solve with a template. It's ultimately something where we need to bring in a professional who can really support the business owner can support the executives, can support the team. And then ultimately that, you know, that, that also goes in terms of what the, the customer experience is. Yeah. 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 For that too, I think like often like a team like your size too, or any teams, I, I love team charters. And so you ask everyone, how are we going to deal with conflict together? So that you're all starting with that equitable or foundation piece, but you have that conversation with everyone before you get to that stage too. So yeah. that. So that often helps in those cases too. But yeah, yeah, like everyone has an origin story and and it's all different based on who they are. Amazing. I uh, I want to make sure that we open up the floor to some questions. Uh Lana put in here conflict equals opportunity to brainstorm. I agree 100%. And I like this idea of the charters. I think that's super great. Like as a team, how do you want to manage it whether it's a conflict with a client or a conflict in- internally? I think that's so great. It doesn't always have to go on the leader. Like we, we, we have to empower our teams and provide ownership opportunities when it comes to that too. Right. Before I start picking on people to ask questions, Lana. I have a question. I, have a question. <laughs> I was going to type it out, but it's easier for me to talk about it. So I have a really, really good friend of mine who just did her first hire and she's been in business for seven years, but she has been doing this on her own for seven years. And she's really struggling with how to find a way to like make her new hire feel like she's a part of a really great culture, even though her roadblocks are COVID. They can't meet in person. That's kind of been put off the table. She doesn't have any kind of like 
materials to give to her. And she just feels really lost because she's so excited to have her as a part of her company, which has been around for so long, but she just doesn't really know where to start. So Michelle, if you have any tips, I'd love to hear. Did she hire the right person? Like, so I hope so. So so that's kind of where I would start. Like if there's all these barriers that got into the way, are they her decisions for these barriers or is it the other person's? It's her her decision. She doesn't want to see them in person. Yeah. Well, they can't, they don't work. She's currently in Vancouver and one's currently in Calgary, but she's eventually coming to Calgary. And she doesn't have anything to share or she's she is working on kind of her like brand model brand values yeah she was at a loss she's like what do I do how do I onboard her how do I make her feel like she's a part of something she's like I don't know what to do so it sounds like a job description issue in that she didn't outline what success was and how to get to success and I see this often with with you know the solopreneurs turning into the entrepreneur and in that they don't take the time to really figure out what success looks like. Um, and so getting really clear on that, because once you know what success looks like, you then can build the tools and you can, you can actually even prioritize, um, you know, where do you need to spend the time with that person? Um, you know, for me, I, when I hire new people, specifically at a more senior level, I know every day I need to put an hour aside for that person and connect with them and just show them something. I do like a bit of an, an HR show and tell in, internally. Um, and so it's like, again, experientially, so much is learned through storytelling. So if you can still put time aside for that, the problem, again, when you're a solopreneur and you hire your first employee, it's because you're so far underwater, you don't know how to get your head above. And so it, 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 you know, it's not abnormal, but I think that's what it comes down to is really understanding, getting really clear on what success looks like, because the tools then are the things that need to happen in order to achieve that success pops out of that. Yeah, I experienced this once we had an employee that lived in uh, Vancouver, and we had, you know, our team in Calgary, and there was like six or seven of us, and just just her in Vancouver. And I, you know, she always recounted feeling a little bit like an island. Right. So it's like we tried to integrate her in our team meetings as much as possible, like Zoom her in, Skype her in, whatever we needed to do, um, engage her in as many conversations as possible. But it was really tough. And for us, ultimately, it didn't end up working out. Um, you know, partially not the right hire, but partially you're dealing with um, the struggle sometimes for some people. I think they really need to be in that office environment. They need to be in a collaborative environment. And so it's tough when they're just like, working on their own in a different city. So interesting. One of our clients has given all of their employees two computers. So it's one computer to do their work on and the other computer, they have office hours. So if you come knocking on your door, you can just pop their zoom is on the whole time and you can just pop up and into their zoom the same way you would have popped up into their office. Um, I was super uncomfortable with it at first, but I'll tell you it's that thing that's percolating in my head and it's working for them. Again, they don't have it on all the time, but it's another way where they can actually attend client meetings because it's so without, you know, you just have them here. They're hearing everything. They can technically even see the client. The client just can't see them. So you can just impart so much more knowledge like that. I think, 
I think now, I don't think I would have been very good with a hybrid approach back in the day either. I think we've learned now how to capitalize on technology in a whole unique way that I think we've got people all across Canada now too, and it's working so much better and they feel so much more included as well now. But I think, yeah, it is, it is hard when you are in two different locations for sure, but it's about not doing what always feels natural. It's trying new things out. I, I love that idea. I know somebody else who was doing that, actually a friend of ours, Jade, I'm pretty sure it was like, they would just at noon, they would just put their zoom on and like whoever wanted to come at noon could come. And it wasn't a mandatory thing. It was just a like, here's a safe space. You're all working from home. If you just need to eat your sandwich in front of a screen, or like, you just need to listen to other people talk and like eavesdrop, like you could do that. And I think there's some value for some people. And it's like, they might not come every day, but there might be a day where they're like, damn, I just need, I just need to see people's greasy hair over the zoom screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, they do it between um, like two to four, somebody, all their computers can be on, they call it office hours. They, they, Basically, they're recreating the re- recreating the water cooler because people drop in, they drop out, you know, as they need to take calls, whatever it is. But that's why they gave everybody a second laptop just so they can have this for Zoom on and this to do the work. It's like it's like uh, having a virtual date where you both like watch a Netflix movie at the same oh. time, you know. Yeah. In the room. <laughs> is there any other questions? I, I feel like Michelle answered so many questions, which was so great. I feel like we covered so many topics. Um, yeah, which, which you know, is incredible. I, I feel like this is one of those big things that we could dig into for hours, of course. Um, Michelle, so everyone knows where to find you. Again, I know you put it um, in the chat. You're at Michelle Berg and at Elevated HR. What is your email address in case people want to reach out to you? Michelle B., because believe it or not, we've had two Michelles. So Michelle B at elevatedhr.com. Actually, I think we had three Michelles at one time. It's so funny. I've never hired an Amanda yet, but there's a part of me that's like, I can't hire an Amanda at Amanda Hamilton Interior Design. That's just too confusing for our clients, right? But maybe one day there will be another Amanda. I mean, I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a little confusing for clients for sure. Yeah. Right? Bye. Thanks again. Bye, guys. As always, thank you so much for joining us today on the After Hours podcast. If you want to keep up to date with all of our crazy adventures or subscribe to the podcast, feel free to check us out at amandahamilton.ca.